0: Bibles to John chapter 6, have you eaten anything good lately? Maybe you've been to a greasy spoon or a good old-fashioned meat and three. Men, this is almost the last plug for tomorrow night's dinner. It'll be good, I promise. We're going to talk a lot about eating this morning. Maybe that will trigger some of your stomachs to growl, and I'll be able to hear it all the way from the pulpit. We've been in chapter 6 for a few weeks. We started with some 20-odd thousand folks who were eating bread and fish miraculously provided by Jesus. And then Jesus begins explaining to the folks that He is bread. He's bread that comes down from heaven. He's bread that gives life. Now, up until this point, he's been talking about how he's bread and we need to come to him. I'm bread. You need to come to me to have life, Jesus says. And so the last two weeks, we've explored a bit some of Jesus' words about what that coming to him looks like. Two weeks ago, uh, we come to Jesus because the father has decided to give us to Jesus and all that the father has given to the son well they come to him and then last week we looked and we saw that we come to Jesus when the father draws us to him and those are both very important ideas to think about to meditate upon I'd encourage you if you've missed either of the last two weeks uh, find the podcast on our website listen to those uh, those messages In today's passage, into into the next 10 or 11 verses we're going to look at, Jesus is going to crank things up yet another notch. I'm not just bread you need to come to. I'm bread that you need to eat. I'm bread that you need to feed upon. You need to feed upon me, Jesus said. So if you thought people were confused or offended before, (laughs) boy. But let me throw this out there before we dig in. The same things that confused the folks in Jesus' day, the same things that offended the folks in Jesus' day, have the same potential to confuse and offend us. So let's be mindful of that as we dig into, that, into this this morning. If you're able to stand, I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. John 6, verses 48 through 58. The very words of God. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Will live forever. May God bless the preaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray one more time for the help that we need. Oh, Father, would you come in these moments and would you feed us with your word? Holy Spirit, would you illumine this word and illumine our understanding so that we might understand what it means to eat the flesh of Jesus, and to drink the blood of Jesus. This is vitally important. Would you help us with supernatural assistance to understand what it is that Jesus is saying in these words. We ask for the help that we need in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus wants us to eat. He wants to feed us. He wants us to feast upon something very specific, not just any old food will do. One type of food that he has to keep pointing folks away from is manna. The Jews of Jesus' day still made such a big deal about manna. Which is a little humorous to me when you think about it. Because they sure hated it when God provided it for them to eat every day. But as revisionist history often goes, now it's the greatest thing since sliced... Oh, wait a minute. They keep bringing it up. They bring it up to Jesus. Moses was so great. He gave us manna to eat. Can you do something great like that, Jesus? Can you wow us like that? And as often as they bring it up to Jesus, Jesus has to point them away from it. Manna won't do you any good. It didn't do your fathers any ultimate good. Verse 49, he's reminding them again. Manna was great, was it? It was so great that your fathers ate it and died. It kept them alive for a time, as God intended, but eventually, they died. They died because manna could not address and deal with the cause of death. What's the cause of death? How did death even become a thing? Right? It hasn't always existed. Right? When did death become a thing? Why did death become a thing? What's the cause? Our sin and rebellion. So if you're going to eat something and not die, that food is going to have to address the cause of death. And that's what we're really talking about today. What to eat in order to not Die. What to eat that will deal with the cause of death. And in verse 50, Jesus is claiming to be just that. Food that if you eat it, you won't die. Now I want to pause for just a second and help you see the big picture, the, the, the big story of Scripture for just a moment. Manna belongs to the Old Testament. Jesus, in essence, is saying you need to leave it there. You need to leave it in the Old Testament. My being bread, that's the new thing. Manna belongs to the old way of life and of thinking about salvation. Jesus, the bread of life, is the new way for you to think about and understand salvation. So, here's the thing. When you think about Old Testament and New Testament, you think about, well, what's different? What's going on Old Testament versus New Testament? It's very important that you dispel any notion that you've come across over the years of Old Testament being plan A and New Testament being plan B. See, God was was trying this one thing in the Old Testament, and boy, was it a disaster. It crashed and burned. What a dismal failure it was. So we had to try something new, right? No, that is not Old Testament and New Testament. It's not plan A that didn't go so well and plan B, so let's try something and see how it does. No, it's much more helpful To think of Old Testament as promises that were made. And New Testament as those very promises kept and fulfilled. See, Jesus isn't down on manna. He's not saying, oh, that manna, that's bad stuff. It was actually wonderful in its time and for its purpose purposes plural actually because it obviously had the purpose of of keeping God's people physically alive while they wandered in the wilderness but its bigger and greater purpose was to point God's people to a to an even greater provision that would come in the future I'm your provider I'll provide what you need day by day And I will always be your provider. I will provide what you ultimately need. Sustaining, life-giving bread that would come down from heaven. So so manna was great. The sacrifices, they were great. The temple was great. All those nitpicky regulations, you can eat this and you can't eat that. Those things were great in their time because they pointed Every one of them pointed, in one way or another, to a greater fulfillment. Every one of them was a promise that would one day, ultimately, and only be fulfilled in Jesus. And some of those folks, even wandering through the wilderness, some of those folks back then, they got it. They knew. This thing that we're doing right now, this thing that we're experiencing right now, it's not ultimate. It's pointing to what is ultimate. It's pointing to a greater fulfillment. Every one of those things was a promise of something greater that would only be fulfilled and kept by Jesus. A greater sacrifice, a greater king, a greater temple. So some of them got it, but many of them didn't. Many of them did not connect the dots. And in Jesus' day, where we're looking at right now, Many were still failing to connect the dots. And so he has to warn them again and again and explain again and again if you keep looking to manna, if you keep looking to the old way and all that goes with it to make life work, you will die just like your fathers died. And so Jesus needs to press the point home further. And so, verse 51 I'm living bread. Came down from heaven. If anyone eats, he'll live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh. Oh, boy. Now he's taking this metaphor a little too far, isn't he? What in the world is he talking about? And you see it there in 52. Uh, at, at, At minimum, it's just their really great confusion. They have no idea what he's talking about. They're ignorant. No clue what he means or how it works. But it's also possible to read some some of their arrogance, some of their just contempt and obstinate refusal. How can this man? What's he going to do? This is ridiculous. Jesus doesn't respond to their grumblings, directly instead he lays down the hammer and he does so first negatively and then he does so positively so 53 and 54 are essentially communicating the same thing twice just for emphasis please get this jesus is saying verse 53 unless you eat flesh and drink the blood you have no life all right, so that's the negative. And then 54 is the positive. Whoever eats and drinks has life and will be raised up. Right? So that, that great assurance and hope that we've seen so much over the last couple of weeks in these verses. So whichever way you prefer, the negative or the positive, there's a few things to unpack here. Number one is how offensive this is. Or at least it should be if you're paying attention. Uh, Then I want us to look briefly at why we need flesh and blood. And then, most importantly, I want us to get to how how it is that we go about eating Jesus' flesh and how we go about drinking Jesus' blood. So let's start with the offense first in in 53. Gosh, this must have offended them to hear these words come out of Jesus' mouth. and, And I hope that it offends some of you this morning because that means you're paying attention. without eating jesus flesh without eating drinking without drinking his blood you have no life in you no life is the default setting for me and you we have no life in us naturally because of the fall we are all dead in trespasses and sins the scripture says So what Jesus is saying here is not, you need life improvement, and I've come to improve your life. No, he's saying, you have no life, you are dead, and I have come to give you life. That's a big difference. Do we need a little tweaking? Do we need a little encouragement, a little pat on the back? Are we a house that's in need of just a little remodeling and an updating? Or did the house burn to the ground and there's not even ashes or cinders left and we need to be built anew? That is the only way that we can approach Jesus. Jesus is owning and acknowledging I have no life in me. I am bankrupt. I don't even have raw goods for you to work with. I got nothing. It will all have to come from you. And it's going to come from and through your flesh. And now Jesus also adds his blood in there, flesh and blood. And so in in Hebrew Scripture and thought, that's just sort of idiomatic or symbolic for, for the whole person, right? Flesh and blood representing the whole kit and caboodle. Jesus' flesh and blood is to be a source of life for us. And that's interesting when you look at Scripture, especially the blood aspect of it because blood in scripture primarily is not about life it's about death it's about violent death and that's what's in view here if we're if we're to eat someone's flesh and drink someone's blood that that certainly implies their death the one supplying flesh and blood for our true food supplies it at the cost of his life. That's definitely what's in view here in verse 51. The bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. This, this giving, gosh, it, it just sounds like a sacrifice, right? And especially when, when you tie it in, this giving for us, right? This sacrifice is a substitute. It's been given in our place, his flesh. Jesus' flesh is a big deal in this gospel. Uh, early on back in the prologue, if you remember, uh, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why is this so important? What, what's so essential about Jesus' flesh, about his humanity? What does he accomplish in his flesh and with his flesh? Two big, huge things. Number one In his flesh, in his humanity, he perfectly obeyed in our place. As our representative, he perfectly fulfilled all righteousness. He lived the life of perfection that we were supposed to live, that we were required to live, but failed to live. In his humanity, he was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, yet he never gave in. He always chose the way of righteousness. So that's the first big thing. That's why His flesh is so important, number one. Number two, in His flesh, He also suffered. And in His flesh, He also bled. And in His flesh, He also died to pay the penalty to absorb the wrath of God justly deserved for our sin and rebellion and unrighteousness. His body broken. And pierced and scourged, his blood spilled for us. Right? And those things, verse 55 says, are true food. His blood, his flesh, are true food for our sustenance, for our nourishment, for us to have life. Now, here's the biggest question. Right? Here's the most important question, or we all walk out and we're still a little bit confused and have no idea what to do yet next how do we benefit from those two things how do we benefit from his righteousness how do we benefit from his sacrificial death in our place we benefit by eating and drinking his flesh and his blood so we need to know what that looks like practically speaking verse 54 this is what we're getting after whoever feeds on the flesh whoever drinks the blood has eternal life that's what we're after that's what we want to benefit we want to benefit from his obedience we want to benefit from his sacrifice eating and drinking is the way to do that so how do we eat and drink now i encouraged you last week to read the whole of john 6 i hope you did If not, here's another encouragement. Because we need the context of all these verses together if we're going to get this and understand. Because we've already heard in this chapter another way of describing how we arrive at this eternal life. Which in essence is telling us how we eat and drink. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father... That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So, a couple of options here. Either Jesus is saying, oh, well, there's lots of different ways that you can go about getting eternal life. One way is looking on the Son and believing in him. Another way is eating his flesh and drinking his blood. These are, these are different ways. Or they're the same way, described differently. And of course, that's what we're dealing with here. Jesus is very uniform in his approach. He's describing the one way to come about eternal life with, with different descriptions with, with a certainly today is much more metaphorical, this eating and drinking than the looking on and believing in of verse 40. We feed on Christ. We eat His flesh and drink His blood. We receive the benefits of His righteous life and His sacrificial death by looking to Him, by believing on Him, by by trusting, by resting upon what He has done, by depending wholly and fully. One of the hymns that we sing says, let no other trust intrude right jesus alone not looking to anything yet not i but through christ in me to eat his flesh is to place your faith in what he accomplished in his flesh for you now there's one more important thing to point out about this feeding about this eating this is such an important metaphor, and I'm sure Jesus used this metaphor for a reason. Jesus being bread is such a big deal. He keeps saying it, if you, especially if you read the whole of chapter, He says it over and over, like Jesus, you said that already, but he keeps repeating it because it's such a big deal. You need this bread, you need this nourishment, you need the sustenance, you need this life-giving food. Now, why this metaphor of eating and drinking? Let me ask you. Do you eat or drink just one time in your life and then you're done? Well, I ate. Don't have to do that again. Well, I drank. Mark that off the list. All right? Most of us don't even eat or drink just once in a day. Right, some of us eat all the time. I was gonna pick on somebody, and he's not here this morning. Verse fifty-four whoever feeds, whoever drinks, not whoever once fed, not whoever once drank. Verse 56, whoever feeds, whoever abides. These are are ongoing things. It's just like our, our physical need for food and drink. 57, 58, whoever continues to feed. See, I am in constant need of being nourished and fed. By the reality and by the power of His flesh, Broken for me, of his blood spilled out for me. That is the gospel. That is what sustains me and transforms me. That is what I need multiple times a day, all day long, every day, in order to continue to have life. I need to be constantly looking to Jesus, constantly trusting, constantly resting in his finished work for me. Now, with the reality of the the ongoing nature of this, of the constant need of this, and not just one time, I I am sobered and I am often saddened by this. Let me give you an example. When I hear folks consoling one another after a friend or a family member has died, When that person on the surface has had no real relationship with Jesus. Jesus in no way for them, by any evidence that we've seen or heard, was a daily important factor in reality in their life. He in no way seemed so absolutely foundational and crucial as bread or drink. I must have this or I have no life. But We console ourselves in those moments. And we're reaching and and we're saying, oh, well, I'm pretty sure he made peace with God. Or or, or we latch on to things like, oh, well, well, he prayed a prayer a while back. Oh, he he walked an aisle. He joined a church. He got baptized. Friends, none of those things is ever linked in Scripture to the reality of, of having eternal life. Assurance and hope and certainty of eternal life is never, ever linked to an event or events in the past. It is only ever and always linked to present trusting, present feeding, present abiding. Now, of course, only God knows who is truly day by day feeding on Jesus, eating his flesh and drinking his blood in a real saving way by faith. But please, the next time you are tempted to grasp for straws, to to fumble around in the dark looking for any possible reason, to say, oh, well, I think maybe he really did belong to Jesus, even though the evidence speaks to the contrary, despite how unimportant Jesus was in his everyday life, rather than trying to console ourselves, what if we grieved instead? What if we lamented? What if we shed real tears over that reality that they didn't feed day by day on Jesus like bread? What if that grief then would lead us to some real serious conversations with folks who are still living? What if that led us instead to be willing to be uncomfortable and to put ourselves out there and say, we need to talk about bread. We need to talk about what you're feeding on our feeding must be ongoing and Jesus is willing to feed us and nourish us if we will just avail ourselves to his flesh and blood he's always there he's always doing it he's always ready he's feeding us any time that we are actively Trusting and resting in the gospel. And he's especially doing it today as we come to the table. As a wonderful gift of God's grace, he has given us a physical representation, a sign, a seal of feeding on Christ. And this is so helpful. I'll pray in a second and the elders can come up when I pray. That's fine. This is so helpful because we don't actually feed on Christ. We don't actually eat His flesh and drink His blood with our physical mouths. We do it with our faith. But, because the Father so understands our weakness... He so understands our limited capacity to grasp something so big like this that He gives us a learning aid, a visual help. He's actually given us something that we do taste, that we do put into our physical mouths. That we do chew with our teeth and swallow down our throats. And so as real as this bread and this grape juice is, so real too is Christ's flesh and blood to our souls, to our spiritual bodies, to our spiritual nourishment. If we approach this table, if we receive these elements with hearts filled with faith, And even that is a gift from God by His grace that He grants to us. Then Jesus' flesh and blood is really spiritually present for our feeding and for our nourishment this morning. Let's pray both for the faith that we need and for His presence and His feeding us this morning. Father, thank You for this gift of Your grace. Thank you for the reality that it represents. Thank you that it represents the reality that Christ's flesh was ripped and torn apart for us. It represents the reality that His precious blood was poured out for the remission of the sins of many. Thank you for those realities Thank you for your gift that you give us. You give us believing hearts. You give us the faith necessary necessary to believe that that really happened, to believe it had real power and efficacy for us, that it continues to have real power and efficacy. You give us the faith to believe that. Would you give us the faith today to believe that, that even now we can be fed? That especially now we can be fed and nourished and sustained. As we look to the reality of what Christ did, as we remember it with things that we can physically touch and taste and feel, chew and swallow, would you come now in these moments, unite us to Christ by faith and strengthen us, nourish us, that Jesus might hold firm of us till the end, that He will raise us at the last day, that we will enjoy eternal life with Him forever. We pray this in Christ's name.